the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Luke. God brought a child to a woman who had been barren for many years. His name was John. We know him as the Baptist. He was a child sent from God to go before the coming Messiah, the chosen Savior of the world. The angel Gabriel had been sent to Mary, a young woman in the town of Nazareth, who was betrothed to Joseph, a carpenter. The days came for both John and Jesus to be born. Thirty years have passed as we reach Luke chapter 3. We find John preaching and baptizing people in the wilderness. His message is one of divine comfort. Repent! We join Pastor Will in Luke chapter 3, verse 6, as we continue to look at John's message of repentance and the need for all of us to turn away from our own desires and turn to God. Why is John preaching a message of repentance? Why not one of faith? Because when the Messiah came, they would need to exercise faith. He'd be pointing the way to the Lord. John's job was to prepare as many people for that time. So it says, whether you're reading in Isaiah or you're reading in Luke, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. The word there literally means a straight road, and it's an idiom for a right way to live. Prepare people to live the way they should live. Why? Because the Messiah is coming. And if you don't have the right mindset, you're not going to receive him. You're going to reject him. He says, every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill shall be brought low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways shall be made smooth. The valley, it does not actually refer to valleys. We think of valleys as happy places, you know. But the word here actually means ravines and chasms, places that if you were traveling and you didn't see it, you could fall into and die. In the chasms that they have there in the hills of Judea, when it rains, they just become these, these huge flood tunnels. So, I mean, if you're just chilling out, walking in you know, one of these chasms or whatever, or walking near one, you can be killed when the rains come down because they just come through like a flood. But all those, he says, they'll be filled in. All those chasms, all those ravines, they'll be filled in. All the mountains and the hills, they'll be brought low. In other words, you know, if, if you're walking through the mountains and the hills, it's a harder walk. It says, the crooked shall be made straight. The word crooked there refers to that which is morally corrupt, perverse, or unjust. The rough shall be made smooth. The word rough means bumpy. When a king traveled back then, he would always send an advance team to fill in the potholes, to remove the obstacles, and to smooth the paths, or to make a road where there was no road, the crooked being made straight. All those potholes and those bumps be dealt with so that he could have a smooth way in. And John's job was to do that with men's hearts. It's interesting, the mountains and the hills are a metaphor for pride. We know this because when it says that they'll be brought low, that's not a word for bringing something down in height. It's a word that refers to humility, to make humble. 
The idea was John's job was to prepare a people whose hearts were humble and in the right place to receive the Lord. That they had gotten rid of all the things that would prevent them from receiving their Messiah, from putting their faith in their Messiah. You know, if you're prideful, you're not going to come to faith in Christ. I can get up and tell you, Jesus loves you and, you know, he has a beautiful plan for your life and he he wants to do awesome things through you. And you go, my life's fine. Why do I need Jesus? That's why repentance comes first. If you don't know you have a need, why would you exercise faith? And so John's job was to prepare people, to show them their need. If I'm clinging to my sin still, I won't care. Somebody say, listen, Jesus could set you free from your sins. I like my sin. I don't care. But if somebody comes and they begin to tell you your sin's not okay, and this is the place it puts you in, it keeps you away from God. You know, it sends you to an eternity apart from God. Well, now you kind of perk up a little bit. Say, okay, Lord, what do I do? You repent. Change your mind. Your sin's not Okay. And then when the message comes that Jesus can forgive you, how do, how do I experience forgiveness? How do I, how do I experience being right with God? I want to spend eternity with him, not in hell. I say, well, let me tell you what Jesus did for you. Let me tell you how much he loves you. Let me tell you what he wants to do in your life, how he wants to change you. Now that seems like a different message, doesn't it? See, all those potholes and bumps need to be dealt with before faith is something a person even considers. And John did that for so many people. When Jesus came, you know, many of those people were ready for him and they put their faith in the Lord and said, he's my Messiah. Now, when Jesus came, many others didn't exercise faith and they rejected him. And the reason was, is because they never repented of their sins because they rejected John's teaching. It's interesting, we read on, it says, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Who's the salvation of God? It's Jesus. He's Yeshua, the salvation of God, the God's salvation. All flesh are going to see him. You know, he's going to come and live in our midst. And yet, even though all flesh saw God's salvation, not all flesh believed. Listen, if you don't know the Lord today, and God's revealing himself to you, please don't be stubborn. Please don't harden your heart. You must repent. Now, some of this group who rejected his teaching were the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They didn't like John's teaching. Now, who are the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Well, the Pharisees, they were kind of like the religious conservatives. They were the ones who said, we believe in the scriptures. We believe in all of the scriptures. They were kind of the conservatives in the sense that they, they believed all the cardinal truths of Judaism. They, they believed all the word of God and they tried to adhere to it according to them. The Sadducees, they only believed in the first five books of the Bible, more like the liberal theologians of the day. They didn't believe in life after death. That's why they were sad, you see. They didn't believe in life after death. They didn't believe in angels. There's a lot of things they didn't hold to. They were definitely more what we would call like like a liberal theologian in that sense, where they did not believe in all the scripture. They didn't believe it should be taken literally. They rejected a lot of the cardinal doctrines of Judaism over time. So these guys, neither of them liked John's teaching. And when they came to be baptized, John had a special message just for them. Look at verse 7. Then he said to the multitude that came forth to be baptized by him. Now, Luke's nice. He doesn't point them out. He just says it's the multitude. But Matthew 3, 7 identifies them. The Pharisees and the Sadducees came out to be baptized by him. And here's when he, he sees them. Here's how John starts his message to them. He says, hey, guys, welcome to church today. You brood of vipers! Who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Wow, that's an eye-opener. 
brood of vipers. What does that mean? Generation of vipers. The word generation means offspring or children. And vipers, of course, are, I mean, unless you like snakes, I'm not a big snake guy. Vipers back then were a metaphor for an evil person because, of course, the snake was representative of Satan himself. He's essentially saying, welcome to John the Baptist Chapel, children of Satan. Wonderful way to greet your congregation. But then he asked them, he goes, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? I figured you guys would be way too proud to come here. Who let you in on your need for a Messiah? The word they're warned means a private or a confidential hint. Who tipped you guys off that you were headed to hell? I thought you guys thought you were fine. Seeing this group coming to be baptized surprised John. They were self-righteous. The Pharisees who said they believed all of God's word, all they did was they just made new laws that lowered God's standard so they could achieve it and feel good about themselves. And they oppressed the people. He refuses to baptize them until they prove they repented. Look at verse eight. Bring forth, therefore, you're here, and apparently you're here because somebody warned you you should be here. Therefore, bring forth fruits worthy of repentance. Wow, that's fascinating. Who wants to get saved today? Everybody raises their hand. No, no, I know some of you guys. You need to be serious about the change that you want to make. You want to get saved, but you need to let me know you're serious about changing your life. Make it clear that you're serious about changing your life, that you're not just here to go through the motions. Who would ever do that at a church? What would happen if all the politicians came, you know, from, the, from Congress? Because I can guarantee you they all still need to be saved. What would happen if they all, not all of them, of course, I'm being silly. I'm sure one or two are saved. (laughs) No, obviously there's more than that. But many of them, I mean, we see the things they say. We see the the language they use. We see the conduct they have. You can't know the Lord and and be regularly behaving like that without apologizing and saying, "I, I messed up. You can't justify it. Dare I say... Any man who who claims to represent Jesus and speak for him, who justifies that kind of behavior and language, needs to step down from his pulpit. I don't care what party they're from. If you're going to justify a man's wicked behavior because, oh, well, people in the past have done that or the job is rough, then, then you have lost your role here. You've lost your role. What if they all came here and, and I preached a message of repentance and, and, you know, and I say, who wants to get saved? They all raised their hands. And I looked at them and I said, you know, no, no, no. I don't know if you're serious about this. I think you're doing this for, for, so everybody can look and see you do, go through the motions. You bring forth fruits that are worthy of repentance and then come back and get saved. What preacher would do that? And that's what John does here. Bring forth fruits that are worthy. If you really want to get baptized, you're here. Therefore, since you're here, The word bring forth, it's imperative. So it means it's a command. He's not giving them an option. He goes, you must produce fruit that is worthy of repentance. Fruit that is worthy. The word worthy means fitting or corresponding to what is expected. When you would measure out a scale, just how much you were going to purchase, you'd put it on the scale. And when they were even, you would call that worthy. It measured out, it corresponded. And that's what he's saying here. He's saying, I'm preaching a message here and you want to get baptized. I'm telling my people to repent, to turn away from their sin and to give their lives to the Lord, to prepare their hearts for the Messiah. But, but you're coming here, and I don't think you've done that. I don't think you want to prepare your hearts for the Messiah. I think you want to go through the motions and look spiritual. So I would like to see you repent in a way, bring forth some fruit to show that you don't want to live the way you used to, that you'd like to make a change. You'd like the Lord to do a work in your life. It's interesting because it shows us that John wasn't a peddler of religious experience. 
He didn't exist to give people feel-goods or a chance to stand in, in front of everyone for a photo op. And neither do we at our church. I don't just marry anybody. We have people, if they want to get married here, they have to sign a thing and it says, do not set the wedding date until you finish the counseling. Because I don't agree to do the wedding until the counseling's done. Because I might find out halfway through the counseling, I don't think you should be married. And I'm not going to just go through the motions. We don't do baby dedications or baptisms just because they've got an experience they want to have or they want everybody to know how, how, how much they love Jesus. We don't do it just to do it. We don't just baptize anyone who asks. We don't do baby dedications for any family that asks. They must demonstrate an understanding of what they're doing. They have to be able to explain why they want to do it and have lives that match what those rituals signify. And because these guys were far from God, John wanted proof that they were here for the right reasons, that they were here with sincerity. That they weren't is seen in his warning to them afterwards. For he says, and do not begin to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. He tells me, he says, you should not, which means they were already likely starting to think this in their hearts. You should not begin to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father. The prevailing idea in that day was that if you were a descendant of Abraham, you were guaranteed heaven and all of its blessings, no matter how you lived. If you weren't a descendant of Abraham, you were out of luck, no matter how much you wanted to follow the Lord. Gentiles are basically created to keep hell hot. John says, don't even start that nonsense. You know, when I say you need to bring forth fruits worthy of repentance, he goes, don't start that nonsense. Those who follow Abraham's faith experience the relationship Abraham had with God, not those who bear his name, those who follow his faith, regardless of heritage. And he says, you know, even if someone's response to God in the past was as lifeless as a stone, the Lord will forgive you if you repent and you get ready to follow the Messiah. That's what he's looking for from them. That view that they had in Jesus' day, how does that explain all the judgment Israel experienced at God's hand throughout their entire history? If they were just perfectly fine because they were Jewish and they, could, they were always under God's blessing no matter what, then how come we have the entire Old Testament of God disciplining them and judging them? See, John says, don't say that. That will keep you from repenting. You know, and say to me, Will, man, you teach messages like this and I, I think you don't understand the gospel. I understand the gospel full well. Do you know what Jesus' first sermon was? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. That's what he said. I'm not making this up. Repent. Not my words, Jesus' words, John's words. Why? There's no salvation without repentance. That's the historic truth that the church has taught all throughout history. That doesn't mean it's salvation by works. But you can't just say, I don't want to change. I don't want God to change my life. I just want to go to heaven. You've missed the point. You don't understand even what you're being saved from, if that's the case. See, salvation is from our sin. It's from a life that's separated from God. It's from a life that is, is opposite of what God wants. And God wants to restore us to himself and to a life that pleases him. And that actually has meaning. And that requires repentance. Just as God had judged Israel in the past because they didn't repent, John tells them that the Lord's ready to do so again if they don't repent. For he says in verse 9, and now the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. I mean, John is, man, I, I like John personally. But that dude, he's, he's hardcore. He's got a little bit of sarcasm in here too because he goes, the axe is laid to the root. We think about that and what does that mean? What it means is, the word laid to it means it's leaning up against the tree. He goes, God's already come by and he's laid the axe against the tree. What's that supposed to show us? There's a chopping coming. 
That's the point. The axe is already laid to the root of the tree. It's already there leaning up against the tree. And every tree, therefore, which does not bring forth good fruit, it's hewn down and it's cast into the fire. The word good, again, it's not talking about good works, but what is fitting and what is proper for a believer to do. If that tree is not doing what it's supposed to do, then it's going to be chopped down. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were considered the most spiritual people in the entire nation. If they needed to repent, then everyone needs to. In fact, that Jesus reiterates that same truth in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall in no wise inherit the kingdom of God. Now, what was Jesus's point? Well, the Pharisees and the Sadducees taught that you could be righteous by your works. But Jesus was trying to tell them and say, nobody can be that righteous. You have to have a righteousness that's way higher than their righteousness. A righteousness that only comes from God. The righteousness that comes by faith in me. And that we have when we put our trust in Christ, when we turn from our sin and we give him our lives. That's God's command. See, if they needed to repent, everyone needed to. And that's God's command. In Acts chapter 17, verse 31, Paul said very clearly, but God commands all men everywhere to repent. Commands. In the old days, they used to call it obeying the gospel, is what they would call it. When someone would come to faith in Christ because they would repent of their sins and put their faith in Christ, they would call it obeying the gospel. Because the call, it's, it's, we call it an invitation, but it's not an invitation, it's a command to turn from your sin and put your faith in Christ. And when you do so, you'll be saved. Now, if you refuse to repent, you will perish. As I already said, that's Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. Jesus said it twice. He talked about a group of people who died in an accident. And he said, you think those people were worse sinners than everybody else because they died in the accident? You think that's how life works? He goes, all are sinners. And I tell you this, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. So if you're here today and you don't know the Lord, you need to repent. (laughs) You need to turn from your way of life and give your life to the Lord. Now, when the rest of the people there beside the Pharisees and the Sadducees heard these heavy words, they were like, how on earth can we be saved if these guys are ready to be judged? And so they asked, it says in verse 10, and the people asked him saying, what shall we do then? And John answered and said unto them, well, he that has two coats, let him impart to him that has none. And he that has, King James says meat, it just means food. He that has food, let him do likewise. Now, John wasn't, again, preaching salvation by works. This was a genuine question of how they were to live their lives after getting baptized. These were his regular crowd who weren't coming to be baptized. These were people who got baptized. They said, what do we do now? See, unlike the religious leaders, these guys were repentant, and they wanted to know how to live lives of repentance. And so John was explaining to them what repentance looks like so that they would begin to live that way and be ready for the Messiah. I had some people come to me and ask me and say, do I have to give up this particular sin to go to heaven? And my answer is always this, that if you love that sin enough, you'd be willing to go to hell for it? Then the answer is yes, you do need to give it up. Because if you'd be willing to go to hell for it, you haven't repented. And I think that's John's point here. We're saved by faith alone, but true faith requires a change of mind, repentance. Verse 12 Then came also the publicans to be baptized. And he said to them, Master, what shall we do? And again, this shows they're different. This shows that they are people who want to change, that they are people who want to repent because they call him master, which means teacher. 
Now, the publicans are an interesting group because they were considered traitors by their own people. They would never show up to church. Publicans didn't go to church because the people hated you there. Why, did they, why were they hated? Well, see, the Romans, they didn't send their own tax collectors to go collect money. They would appoint an individual who was over a region. And that individual would hire people from amongst the people of that region to collect taxes. And they would say, this is how many people live in this area that you're responsible for. This is how much you owe us every month, three months, or however often they were supposed to collect the taxes. And they would tell them and say, this is how much you need to collect. And then out of that, this is how much you get paid. So the publicans, they would go to their own people who had, were conquered people, and they would go and collect taxes from them. So they were hated for that. I mean, nobody likes a tax collector anyway, right? Oh, you guys like tax collectors. Okay. I only heard a few grumbles, you know. But here's what the publicans would do. They would think to them, because it wasn't good pay. They would go to somebody and they say, you know, hey, your taxes are X amount. And the people would say, well, I thought our taxes are this amount. And they said, no, they've raised them. They didn't raise them. They would pocket the extra. And so remember Zacchaeus? He said, whatever I have stolen from those, whatever ever I've taken in excess, I'll give it back. What does he say? Four times or three times or something like that. That's where he showed that he had repented. He showed he was changed. And so John tells them very similarly. He says to them, exact no more than that which is appointed to you. You know, you must not collect more than you've been ordered to. Be honest, be fair, do the right thing. A perfect picture of repentance for those folks. Then the soldiers likewise demanded of him. These would be individuals that would never be let into a synagogue. Saying, well, what, what do we do to be saved? We want to get right with God. What do we do? And he said to them, well, do violence to no man. Neither accuse any falsely and be content with your wages. Now, I want you to note here that John doesn't condemn the occupation of being a soldier nor a tax collector. You can be saved and do that. Working for the government or being a soldier is an honorable profession in God's eyes if you do that job in accordance with his standards. And for these guys, you know, they could do whatever they wanted to because they had the authority as soldiers. And so he says, don't do any violence. And the word there actually means to rob someone by force or the threat of violence. You know, to extort them through the threat of violence because you have authority and that you can do what you want. Don't do that, he says. Don't accuse anyone falsely. Don't use your influence in the government to oppress the innocent or get what you want. And be content with your wages. The Bible says godliness with contentment is great gain. Great gain. Be content with the life that God has given to you. I'm going to ask you before we close this morning, do you live by those principles in your job? Are you content? doesn't mean you can't strive for promotion, but are you content where the Lord has you right now in the sense that you just, you work hard and you enjoy and you're honest and you're fair and you treat people around you correctly? That's what the Lord would say to us. You know, if we're going to live lives that reflect a repentant heart, If we're going to live lives that reflect the faith in God Almighty and Jesus, we should live that kind of a life, right? So does everybody feel comforted? (laughs) Comfort is sweetest when you get to relax after a long day, right? The things you've been stubborn about giving to God, they make for very long days. I want to encourage you, find the comfort that comes from repenting of those things instead of remaining stubborn. That's my heart. You won't regret it ever, I promise you. There's never anything that God has asked me about and said, Will, I want you to give this to me. You know, whether I'm reading in the scripture and I see an area that my life is not in accordance with it or God specifically deals with an attitude of my heart or something, a behavior in my life that that he convicts me about. I've never regretted giving anything up to him. I've never regretted repenting. I've never regretted coming to God and saying, okay, Lord, it's yours. I don't want to live that way anymore. I want to follow you in this area of my life. Never. 
I've had lots of regrets when I've been stubborn. I've had lots of regrets when I've been hard-hearted and I've, you know, ignored the Lord. My encouragement to you today is if you've got something the Lord's dealing with in your life or something you know that you need to repent of, don't wait. Repent. Repent. And then find the comfort that comes from experiencing his forgiveness, his love, his mercy, and his power to change your life. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for that opportunity to repent that you give us, Lord. That you call us to a deeper walk with you. You call us to a a place of deeper trust in you. You call us to a place of obedience where we might find freedom, Lord. And we recognize, Lord, this is not an issue of works righteousness, Lord. We, we can't all of a sudden just decide we're going to change on our own or, or we're going we're gonna, to you know, do these things and, 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 and turn over a new leaf and, and make everything better for our lives. We recognize, Lord, we desperately need your aid. We can't do this on our own. But Lord, with whatever it is you're putting your finger on today, we make that choice to repent, to turn away from it, to stop fighting you, to change our minds and to put our trust in you again in that area of our lives, to surrender it all to you, knowing that you love us, that you'll never leave us or forsake us. Lord, that you wanna work through us as we turn to you, we give it to you. In Jesus' name, amen. It may be counterintuitive to find a message of repentance comforting. Often, we hear the call to repentance and try to justify our feelings of independence, that we are okay without God. The truth is, we are not. Jesus had to come and take our place on the cross because we couldn't save ourselves. We can't even help ourselves. The message of repentance is that of comfort because a holy God whom we have wronged doesn't turn us away. Instead, He did everything to bring us back to Him. God made a way for us to have a renewed and restored relationship with Him. We don't have to live like animals in our own fleshly desires. We can live at peace with God and ourselves. Repent. Turn away from your selfish desires and turn to God. He loves you and longs to bless you. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.